Kobe. So when you like are gonna step up on the stage, do you feel like a panic? Like, what if I fall down? Every time, I always do. I'm like, this is the moment. You know, am I gonna? Huh? Yeah, yeah. It is. I yeah. All right, we're in Exodus 24 today, um, looking at most people are taller than me. Talitha is the exception. So, um, all right, we're looking at Exodus 24. Um, this passage comes at the heels of um, this long series that uh, will, you know, he. It, it took him, you know, it took him like eight weeks to get through six commandments, and then he does like three chapters in a sermon. So, anyway, this is at the end of that three chapters where, uh, you know, God has laid out all of these covenant com- covenant commandments, all of the responsibilities that the people are supposed to have, and um, what it means to be God's people, all right? And so now we have the confirmation of the covenant in chapter 24. Um, and this, this is like right in the midst of fulfilling this promise to Abraham, right? And so we got to remember that this, is, this part in Exodus is part of a larger story of God promising Abraham, look, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to bless you, right? And so the people are, t- are getting ready to take... Um, possession of this land we know that they're not actually going to take possession of the land that it's going to be the next generation but they don't know that yet um, and that's important to keep in mind because uh, the people are going to make some some commitments in this chapter uh, that that we're going to think about um, so what I want you guys to leave with I, I, I thought about this um, a lot uh, when I was reading over this this passage it's 18 verses, um, and I thought, what do I want? What do I want to leave this chapter with, and what do I want you guys to leave this chapter with? It's three things. I want us to have a view of God's majesty, a right view of God's majesty. When we, we'll get into that in a minute. The description of the Lord in this passage is incredible. I want you to understand that an experience with God doesn't vaccinate us against future sin. That's why in, at the gathering place we talk about abiding in Christ um, because abiding is an ongoing relationship that you have with God. Um, some of the people we're going to, all the people we're going to read about here, Nadab, Abihu, Moses, and Aaron experienced this unbelievable, had this unbelievable experience with the Lord and yet their stories ended pretty badly um, or at least had some pretty significant hiccups along the way. And so I just want us to understand we behold God's majesty, but also it has to be this ongoing abiding because that experience, whatever experience we may have with the Lord, doesn't vaccinate us or inoculate us against future sin. And the second thing is I want us to understand the seriousness of committing to the Lord. Right in the middle of the passage, the people make a commitment to God and I want us to understand the seriousness of that. The, Jesus talked about it in terms of counting the cost of discipleship. Okay, So let's dive right in. I'm going to uh, end up reading the whole um, chapter, like not all at once, but I'll start with, I'm going to go verse 1, and I'm going to skip down to verses 9 through 18. We talk about um, beholding God's majesty. 
So chapter, chapter 24, verse 1, Then he, the Lord, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Notice here the, the oh man, I just said notice. I hate, I hate it when pastors say that. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, the people are told to worship from afar. Okay, so notice, man, it is, geez, all right. So the people are told to worship from afar, right? Um, and one of the things that's important when we are, are working through the Old Testament is to make the the New Testament connection, right? We're not told to worship from afar anymore, right? The author of Hebrews said, let us draw near to the throne of grace, right? So because of, and I'm going to get into this later, because of what Jesus did, we don't have to stay far off like the people in Exodus, like the people of Israel, like Aaron, like Nadab, or Nadab and Abihu. Um, in this story, Moses is the only one who gets to come near to, come near to the Lord Everyone else is far off, but Christ has made a really important difference for us, right? So Jesus fulfills this covenant, like this covenant that's happening right now in our passage. A couple of thousand years later, Jesus is going to fulfill it so that we don't have to stay far off any longer, okay? Um, now, <clears throat> the reason they can't come near is because they'll die. Verse 9 through 18. I just want you guys to listen to this. Listen to the description as, the, as Moses and Aaron and the rest of the guys come near to the Lord. I'm skipping this middle passage and I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Notice he didn't, he, he, the, the, Moses here is making a point to say, hey, he did not kill everybody. He allowed these people to draw near to him and didn't kill them. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction, the people's instruction. These two, these tablets that he's talking about you guys are familiar with the pictures you know like there's one cartoon that says it has like a Moses carrying three tablets and he says I give you 15 and then like one falls and he says 10 commandments <laughs> but anyway this isn't uh this is like the two the um the covenant that's been recorded all right so the Lord is going to give them a copy of it uh, as a reminder and as a something for um they're going to read this yearly uh, as a reminder of this covenant that they've made with God. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. 
we don't typically experience God in this sort of way. Like, I don't know, has anyone in here been asked to come up to the mountain of the Lord and enter into a cloud of fire? Glenn, you're probably like the closest candidate here. You know, okay. We don't typically experience the Lord in this way today. And so I think it's easy for us to read this and just kind of, it's easy for me, I'll say that. It's easy for me to read this and kind of brush past it, to move on like, oh, sapphire of pavement or a pavement of sapphire and a cloud covering the mountain and Moses going in. But if we take a minute and just like slow down and think about this, right? Think about what would it be like to be out in the middle of the wilderness in Israel, you know, you're there, uh, you've just walked through, you've just been delivered from slavery, you've seen God kill all the firstborn of Egypt, then they loaded you up with all of their stuff and said, please leave. You've trekked through the wilderness, God has parted the Red Sea, you know, and you've walked through it like on dry ground, and now here you are at the bottom of this mountain, and God descends and, says, and, and your leader says, hey, he's going to kill all of you, so stay down there. You know, the Lord says, the people cannot come up. They have to stay far away. Seventy elders can come up, Moses, Nadab, Abihu, Moses, uh, Aaron, but not even they can come close. Only Moses gets to come close. So think about this. I mean, have, I'm just trying, I, it's hard to even imagine what it would be like to see these things. I mean, I've never seen um, the sky look like sapphire pavement, you know, or clear sapphire pavement. I've never seen a devouring fire on top of a mountain, you know, and I've never has, had God to ask me to come and be in his presence for 40 days and 40 nights. Behold God's majesty, right? Behold, this is not just some ordinary God that we worship. This isn't some ordinary person or thing the Lord has asked Moses to enter into his presence right and there are these gradations of whole, of separation these gradations of holiness this is going to be a consistent theme throughout the whole Old Testament and even into the New Testament where we have like say God's holiness is God is over here only Moses gets to come in here Joshua and Moses are hanging out here the rest of the 70 elders are over here, right? You can only get so close to God. We would have been way over here on the outside, right? But because of Christ, whenever he died, the veil was torn, right? And what does that mean? What, is that, what happened when the veil was torn? Anyone know? What? What? Exactly. Whereas before, right, when we read through, when we read the Pentateuch in the Old Testament, what happens, what happens when people enter God's presence who are unholy? They die, right? Death, out, they're gone. Because the big problem of the Bible after the Garden of Eden is how does a holy God live among an unholy people without the people dying? And that's, when, that's where this covenant comes in, into play. And God says, okay, here are the rules. Here are the things that you can do to prevent being dead when I live in your presence. Jesus, though, comes along. He tears this veil, right? The veil in the separating the gradations of holiness toward in half. And now, here's the great thing. The Holy Spirit lives within us, right? So the Holy Spirit, if we 
hold to a Trinitarian view. We hold to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All of them are God, even though the Holy Spirit's not always welcome in Baptist churches, right? Um, uh, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us and lives in us, so, so think about this. God has said, if you come near to me, you're going to die. Only Moses can come close to me, okay? And now, in the New Testament, this veil has been torn and the Holy Spirit lives within believers, right? So we are as near to God as possible, and yet we don't die. Um, and I just want you to think about that for a minute. Think about this passage with the smoke on the mountain and the devouring fire and the pavement or the, the, the pavement-like sapphire underneath the Lord's feet and him saying, like, be careful, stay back, because you'll die. And yet now... Because of Christ, we have this opportunity to live and abide in him on a regular moment-by-moment -moment basis, and we don't die. That's amazing, right? I mean, like, let that sink in. If I could just, like, go, I could just, like, leave and say, everybody go home. Like, th that would be it. That's enough. Um, because when we read this, I, when we read what happens in this, this incredible narrative, and we say, I say things like, man, how cool would it be to experience God like that? And yet, it is cool. It would be cool. It would be great. It would be awesome. But as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And I think it's easy to forget, like, like beholding God's majesty is something we should be doing on a daily basis as the Spirit lives within us, you know? Um, so the second, second thing I want to talk about is this experience doesn't vaccinate these people against sin, okay? Remember I said that's why we talk about an ongoing, abiding relationship with Christ. I left my phone, so I'm just going to go until I'm finished. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't be too long. Um, do you guys remember what happened to Moses? Anyone? Hmm? What? A lot happened. Yeah, he doesn't get to go into the promised land, right? All right, so here we have Moses. And this isn't the only time Moses has this incredible experience with God. He has the whole uh, burning bush experience, and he has um, this experience. God speaks to him, like, regularly when he's telling him to go say all these things to Pharaoh that are going to make Pharaoh really mad. And yet, Moses, the book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses up on this mountain overlooking the promised land and then God takes him home to heaven, you know. God kills Moses before he enters the promised land because Moses struck this rock. Like this is later on in the story. They're going to be going along. Moses is super irritated. You guys have been, um, you guys, if you've had kids, you know what it's like, right? Like just this morning, <clears throat> this morning like, my kids, one kid is like, I want chocolate milk. And the other one's like, I want apple juice. And then the oldest is like running around me like, don't you remember you said we were going to make paper, play, paper airplanes this morning when you got up? You said you were going to make paper airplanes this morning when we got up. You said you were going to make air paper. And so all this is going on. So you can imagine Moses just being like, okay, fine, and like hitting a rock, right? So imagine like this is, and this is what keeps Moses out of the promised land, right? He's, God says, I want you to speak to this rock and water will come forth. And Moses strikes the rock instead. And God says, look, you've dishonored me in front of all these people. Um, and so despite this incredible 
phenomenal experience that Moses had of beholding God's glory, of being on this mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights and coming down and having to wear a veil over his face because it's so bright that it hurts the people's eyes. They couldn't look at him anymore. This same Moses can't enter the promised land because he disobeyed the Lord and struck the rock, right? Do you guys remember what happened with Aaron? What, what, does he, what does he do? And So Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. What's Aaron down at the camp doing? Huh? Yeah, he's making a God, right? And like, so he gets, he's like, okay, the people are like, oh, we need a God. Like Aaron, Moses is probably like gone forever. And knows they can, they can still see the cloud up on the mountain. And they're like, nah, he's probably gone. Like this is over. We need a God, people. Aaron. We need a God. And so Aaron says, like, okay, yeah, I got this. Bring me all your gold. And he melts it and makes a calf, right? This golden calf. And if we're a good Jewish reader, when we hear about Aaron making this golden calf, we're like, uh oh. Golden calves got Israel in, in, in trouble later on, right? That's why they ended up being exiled and God brought this big this judgment on them because they're worshiping a cow, right? A golden cow. And my favorite part of the story with Aaron is when Moses comes down, he throws the tablets on the ground. He's like, what are you doing, Aaron? And he said, I don't know. I, I just threw the gold into the fire and then this calf came out. What am I supposed to do? You know, they like... So Aaron, up on the mountain with the Lord, he sees this thing. Where's this passage here? He says... Uh, they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And then he goes on to talk about the cloud covering the mountain and the glory of the Lord dwelling on Mount Sinai. And the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And so we have Aaron experiencing this. And then going down the mountain... Goes back down, you know, Moses says, look, Aaron, you got Aaron, you got her, you got the 70 elders. If anything happens while I'm gone, you take care of this. And Aaron's like, it, we're talking like 40 days Moses is gone. That's what, like seven weeks and five days. Can you imagine if when Glenn handed the reins over to Will, if within seven weeks we were in here with a, or five weeks, sorry, within five weeks we were in here bowing down to a cow. Like, can you imagine that? Like, no, it's crazy. And yet that's exactly what happened. And like, Aaron experienced the majesty of God. He beheld the Lord. And within no time, he was making a calf for the people to worship. Nadab and Abihu, they're a little bit less well known in the rest of the Old Testament story. Does anybody know what happened to them? No, similar. Strange fire, right? So they, had, they burned this, so what's called strange fire. So Nadab and Abihu, part of their job, right, was to make sacrifices. Because um, during this time, you remember, there's the veil between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. People can't just go be in God's presence, so they'll die. And so there's priests who make sacrifices on behalf of themselves and the people so that God doesn't kill everyone, right? So that, so that God's 
tent, his home, can be there in the midst of the people and, no, and they don't die. Nadab and Abihu, their story gets really twisted and sick later on, but like the way it ends is they offer sacrifice that they're not supposed to offer and God strikes them down. They're dead. Boom. So these people, these guys, beheld the glory of the Lord, right? There, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of Israel. And these two dudes, Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, priests in Israel. So we're talking about like these, these are like the, the holy people, right? They should know God. They should, they've experienced God on this mountaintop. They experienced God in worship, by offering these sacrifices. And yet somewhere along the way, they stopped abiding and ended up making this unauthorized or false or inappropriate sacrifice to the Lord. And he killed them. Right, so out of these people, out of Moses, Nadab, Abihu, and Aaron, none of them get to enter into the promised land, right? So they behold God's majesty. They have this singular, once-in-a-lifetime experience with God, and yet all of them later on commit some sort of significant rebellion against God. Moses strikes the rock when he was told to speak to it. Aaron makes a golden calf for crying out loud for the people to worship. And Nadab and Abihu end up sacrificing in a way that God said, don't do that. And so they all three end up dishonoring the Lord in significant ways. Not just like, oh, I said a cuss word when I, you know. Like these are like big time rebellions against the Lord. And so I say all that, like I said, as a reminder to us that an experience with God, while wonderful, I, I want to have experiences with God, are not a vaccine or an inoculation against future sin, right? And so what that means, as New Testament believers in whom the Spirit dwells in us, we must abide in Christ on a a regular, ongoing basis, right? So we go wrong when we look back and we say, like, so say we're Aaron, like, man, I really did, that was cool, that experience I had with God, but like right now I need something that I can touch with my hands and and see with my eyes and so we make a golden calf right and like there's there's absolutely like grace and redemption and all of those things but i'm saying like we must be careful as much as it's up to us to abide regularly daily with the lord and not rely on past experiences you know the third thing the danger of commitment okay Verses 3 through 8. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. (coughs) And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. This is, if you guys go out to Aaron Slater's farm, he does this regularly. 
It's weird. Just He doesn't. I'm kidding. Moses took, okay, uh, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. There's just a few things I want to point out in this, in this little section. So the people have beheld the Lord's glory, right? They've experienced, they see Moses or they see this cloud, the glory of the Lord up on this mountain. And they say, I am, we will obey, right? They say, yes, let's do this. We got this. We take on this responsibility. And so Moses rose early in the morning. Now that tells us two things, right? It tells, it tells us, one, that like this, this rising early to do something. Um, Jacob does it. Abraham does it. Isaac does it. All when times when God has revealed himself to them, they rise early in the morning, build an altar. Okay? Um, so it tells us that there's a seriousness and determination about the task. It also tells us that Moses very likely had small children at this time. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, the people of the Lord say, okay, we will do this. We will take on this responsibility. Everything God has said, we will do, and we will be obedient. And so then they go through this ritual with sprinkling blood and all of that. Now, we know from the New Testament, right, that the author of Hebrews says, like, the blood of bulls and goats can't remove sin, right? And we know because we're looking back on this story, instead of experiencing it like the people were, we know they're not going to keep this commitment. They're, they're not going to be obedient. Moses himself, later on in Deuteronomy, says, like, you're not, you're not going to do it. You can't, you know? And eventually, the people are exiled. Like, God removes them from, removes them from his presence completely. Like, they're cast out, you know? And, and God does, one day bring about full and total redemption in Christ, you know. And so the thing I want us to think about as we think about the people making this commitment to the Lord, they're not going to keep this commitment. And I want to think about the seriousness. And, and I want, actually, um, I lied to you about the passage. I want to look at Luke 14 also, sorry. Jesus makes a similar statement not not really a similar statement but he talks about a similar experience in Luke 14 verse 25 through 33 now he talks about the cost of discipleship right and this is something that the people you know I don't know I'm not I'm wasn't there I can't be in their heads I don't know exactly um why they jumped so quickly to saying like yes we will do this we will absolutely do this um but they did and it's kind of a recurring theme throughout the Pentateuch that the people say like, oh yeah, we can definitely do this. We can definitely keep this commitment. We'll definitely be faithful to the Lord. But then just a little bit later, they sin over and over and over and over, right? That's part of the pattern. Um, Chapter Luke 14, verse 25. Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship. He says, the great crowds accompanied him. And he, t- Jesus, and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he, has, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what is Jesus talking about here? Um, He's saying, essentially, count the cost, right? He's saying, look, following me, following Christ, is a costly endeavor. Um, And so when we think about, right, this passage in Exodus, and we think about what Jesus has called us to, um, I just want us to be mindful of the fact that, like, it is a costly decision to make to follow Christ, right? And it's not, like, thank God it's not up to us. It, like, there's, there's this inner working, interworking between what the Spirit does in our lives and, like, our decision to follow Him. Um, but I guarantee if it was up to me, like, I, I would have fallen off a long time ago, right? Um, that's the thing. Um, the Lord calls us to count the cost of following him, and yet he makes it so that we can follow him. It's this strange, wonderful thing that the Lord does, right? And so, as we think about beholding God's majesty and, and understanding that this one-time experience didn't inoculate or didn't vaccinate these people against sin, and as we count the cost of discipleship, right? Like, let's not just make a decision like the people did and say, oh yeah, we're going to do that. Like, we'll, we'll obey. Throw the blood of the covenant on us. Like, let's not do that. Let's instead seek the Lord. Pray. Ask him to give us that confirmation, you know, that yes, we need to follow him. I mean, we do need to follow him. He's told us in the Bible. Um, but I guess I'm just saying, let us approach the Lord with seriousness and deliberation and prayer instead of just making this like quick decision like the people made, you know? Um, Like Jesus reminded us, let us count the cost of what it means to follow him. Now, the people beheld the glory of the Lord, right? Um, so the three, you know, three kind of things I want us to leave here with. Like I told you, I want, I want us to think about God's majesty and experiencing God one time versus like an ongoing abiding in Christ. And then the other thing is this counting the cost, like understanding that, that this commitment that people made, their quick commitment, which they quickly um, rejected right so there they end up worshiping the golden calf they're the ones who told Aaron like make us this calf so what I you know I grew up in a a church culture that was like a big on making decisions right like it was always an altar call and like who makes the decision for Christ raise your hand come down the aisle do this and do that right like you you guys know that culture of um like oh man we had 18 decisions made for the Lord today and 24 people did this and 26 people did that. Like, I want to avo- us to avoid doing that and, and instead to, to understand the seriousness of the call of Christ, you know. 
of the call to, like Jesus said, if you don't hate everything, and then you can't be my disciple. I mean, that is a serious call. Um, but I think it's worthwhile. And so I guess what I, I want us to end here thinking about how can we behold God's majesty, you know? Um, I know that, like, one of, the, one of the important ways of doing this is in nature and stuff like that. Um, but, but I just want to encourage you to think through and pray that the Lord will reveal to you ways to truly behold his majesty. Not just in a one-time occurrence like happens on this mountain with Moses, but on a ongo- in an ongoing basis, you know regularly, daily, hourly, saying, Lord, reveal yourself to me, you know? And we should, second, rejoice in experiencing God. Like those experiences where we are able to, to see him in unique ways, like, yes, praise the Lord. And let's hold on to those, right? Let's think, you know, there's kind of a, in my marriage, I think about our wedding day regularly and I filled with joy and happiness and I'm thankful for it and and am grateful for it but 10 years later you know we've married 10 years if the only thing I ever did was think about that day and never pay any attention to the rest of our relationship for 10 years there would be some serious significant problems in our marriage right and so it's it's an analogy a similar analogy with the lord like yes those you know experiences that we have with god praise the lord for them be thankful for them enjoy them and think on them but it's the ongoing daily abiding in christ whether we have this emotional experience which is good or we don't have an emotional experience, which is okay too. But regularly seeking the Lord, being faithful to Him, worshiping, abiding. And then the other thing is, the last thing is count the cost of following Christ. Let's, as we think about the story of these people of Israel who quickly made a decision and said, yes, we will do everything God commanded. And then just days later, we're worshiping a golden calf and end up being They don't get to go into the promised land. None of these people who said like, yes, we will worship God. None of them go to the promised land. Um, Instead of making that type of quick decision, let us instead heed Jesus' advice and count the cost of following him. Let's pray. Kelby, you want to come up? Lord, you're good, you're gracious. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can and do experience you. And Lord, thank you that you give us opportunities to behold your majesty. And thank you so much, Lord, for your death and resurrection that we can live in a relationship with you now. I pray that you would open our hearts to you and help us to know you and abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen.